know, I, I love when choices are clear. I love when the choice just seems to make sense. This is what you must do. I like for choices to be outlined for me very clearly. I like to see the paths. I like to see the consequences. I just like when a choice seems to be a no-brainer. For example, some sometime after church, like today perhaps, some of you will face that big choice. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where are we going to eat? Now, I'm sure that I'll receive an invitation, so I won't have to make that choice, but some of you all will have to decide, where are you going to eat after church? I, don't you love those conversations? Where do you want to go? I don't care. Yeah, but I, I, where do you want to go? I, I, I don't care either. It, it, it doesn't matter. But, well, okay, all right. Well, what if we got, well, I don't know about that. What? You've been there, don't you? You've been there in that ride? I tell you, one of the most frustrating things, I just got where, you know what? When that happened, I just go straight to McDonald's. That kind of solves everything. <laughs> Somebody will speak up after a while, I promise you. I love when choices are just clear. When it's like, this is the choice that you are supposed to make, and you know this is the choice you're supposed to make. It's so clear for you. You understand the consequences of that choice. You understand the, the journey that you're going to be on. And when I look at wisdom literature, and uh, the work of Proverbs here is, is classified as wisdom literature, and when you find wisdom literature in the Scripture, it seems that it always gives you two specific choices. And it contrasts those choices for you. It compares those choices for you. And it gives you the path that you'll travel. And it'll give you the consequences of following each choice. I love this wisdom literature and how God speaks in his own way to his people to say this is the right choice. And I want you to see as we look at Proverbs chapter 5 today. Proverbs chapter 5, we see God clearly lay out a choice for his people, specifically for those who are married. He speaks to them about faithfulness in their marriages, in their relationships, in their lives. Notice in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1, Solomon writes and he says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps lay hold of hell lest you ponder her path of life her ways are unstable you do not know them therefore hear me now my children and do not depart from the words of my mouth remove your way from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my heart to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly. And congregation. Notice as Solomon speaks, as he tries to bring forth the wise way, he says to his children, 
He says, you want to remain faithful. He, he really paints a stark contrast here. He speaks about unfaithfulness in these opening verses and how unfaithfulness brings with it bitterness. Unfaithfulness brings with it bitterness. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you that I studied this little book, Proverbs, uh, when I was in high school. I had a high school Bible teacher there in North Mississippi that meant the world to me. I probably, uh, through my years, have received no better Bible study or training than I did there in my high school when I was just a teenager. And I remember as we studied this book of Proverbs, he gave it a subtitle. You remember it? Some of you wrote it down a few weeks ago. The subtitle that he gave to the book of Proverbs was this, Cheating Men, Complaining Women. Some of you don't know if you should amen or laugh or what you should do. You're looking at your wife for instruction, right? Cheating men, complaining women. Well, when I was thinking of that, and as he was describing that in class, he talked about the unfaithfulness, especially that men experience in their relationships. Now, let me say this up front. I know that today men are not the only ones who are unfaithful in their relationships. I know that. I understand that. It seems like more and more we see individuals, both men and women, who are unfaithful in their marriage relationships. I know that. But if you look through the book of Proverbs, you will see time and time and time again where the writer will call forth for men to be faithful in their relationship. And it seems to be something about this, that there's some theme, that there's something that is repeated time and time again, that men, that sons are called to faithfulness. Because as he paints this picture for us, he shows us that unfaithfulness brings bitterness in our lives. Notice it says, listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. In verse 4, In verse 3, actually, it says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. There is the warning that is given to this young man who is being attracted by this other woman. It's interesting that that the exact terminology is this strange woman. Not, Not his wife, but a strange, a different woman. And here, this woman is somehow attracting him. And notice it is the attractive language that she uses. Perhaps she's flattering him. Perhaps she's building up his ego. But somehow she is, she is trying to attract him to unfaithfulness. And Solomon confronts that. And he says, unfaithfulness brings about bitterness. Verse 4, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, And as I said, he paints quite a picture of these bitter consequences that come from unfaithfulness. Now, note some of these. Note some of these consequences that come from unfaithfulness in our relationships. If you'll look down in verse 9, it says, uh, Lest you give your honor to others and your ear years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Here in this passage... He says that there, are, there, there is a financial bitterness that you can experience in unfaithfulness. 
a financial. Now, most of us don't think about that from time to time, but here he says, unless your wealth goes to aliens, people that are not even part of the the covenant people of Israel. He said, unless your wealth goes there. You know, unfaithfulness, our unfaithfulness in our lives can have financial ramifications. And sometimes I'm proud of that. I had a, a guy come to me one time and was visiting with me, and I knew his track record. I had worked with him before and worked with this couple, and this guy had, uh, had time and time again been unfaithful to his wife. And for some reason, his wife was a gracious, sweet lady and had just taken him back time and time again. There were days I wanted to kick him out of my office, much less, you know, think about being married to this man. But she was continuing to demonstrate grace to him. And he came to me one day and he said, Brother Reggie, he said, I'll be honest with you. I'd get a divorce if I thought I could make it happen financially. And I said, what? And he said, I understand that if I get a divorce financially, it's going to impair me. And I said, and rightly so. Right? After what you, absolutely, I hope it would. And and I said, you know what? At least maybe God gets your attention through your finances so that you might turn your heart toward him and hopefully turn your heart toward your wife as God wants you to. I'll never forget that conversation. But there should be some ramifications, some consequences. And here he says, my son... Be careful of unfaithfulness because it will return in a sense of bitterness, even financial bitterness, he says. But it's much more than financial. We know that. Much more. If you continue reading down, it says in verse 11, and you mourn at last. The emotional bitterness that you experience through unfaithfulness. You mourn. There's an emotional toll that comes upon your life. And let me tell you, time and time again, testimony can be given of those who have been emotionally devastated because of unfaithfulness. There's something about breaking a vow and a commitment that can bring despair in an individual's life. As a matter of fact, it can bring so many regrets. In verse 12, it says, And say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Notice those words are words of regret, words of great emotional pain. Never believe that unfaithfulness will leave you without emotional scars. Never believe that. Because unfaithfulness will always leave emotional scars in an individual's life. Thomas More. Any of you ever see uh, the play or the movie, A Man for All Seasons? Some years ago, yes, absolutely. I'm proud of you. You're more educated, this North Louisiana crowd is, than that South Louisiana, but you knew that before I said it, right? A man for all seasons, Thomas More. When the Church of England had broken off, 
from the Catholic Church, Thomas More, who was a lifelong member of the church and who had committed himself to that church. And Thomas More would not renounce his allegiance and his commitment to the church. Just because the king told him to, he would not do that. There were consequences. The king imprisoned him, threatened his life, and said, you will recant, you will give up the church that you belong to, and you will become a church, part of the Church of England. You will do it because I've said. And Thomas More said, no, I will not. I will not renounce my commitment. Thomas More's daughter, Meg, came to him, begged him, Father, just do, just do this. We all know what you believe in your heart. Just renounce your allegiance, your commitment to the church and join the church of England. We know who you are. You're a man of honor. You're a man of integrity. But just do this for us. And Thomas More said that when a man makes a commitment, it's as though that he places water in his hands. And when he breaks the commitment, it's as though he opens his hands, the water is free, and it is forever lost. And he said it is as though in our hearts and lives when we break a commitment that there is a part of us that is gone, a part of us that is released, a part of us that we never find again. Unfaithfulness can bring with it an emotional toll. It can bring back uh, about emotional bitterness, unfaithfulness. Notice these consequences. Vivid, concrete consequences. You have the financial consequences. You have, you have the emotional consequences. You have the social consequences. Notice in verse 14 it says... I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Notice that the reputation, he, he, he understands that his reputation and who he is, that in the eyes of others, it has been diminished. Now contrast this with the Proverbs 31 description. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the Proverbs 31 woman, and it says that that man who was married to the Proverbs 31 woman, who whose trust was in her, who is faithfulness was to her what happened that he would sit in the gates and his name would be known and he would be honored contrast the proverbs 31 passage with this passage where it says that i was on the verge of ruin in the congregation and the assembly bitterness socially bitterness physically in your life and back in verse 11 when your flesh and your body are consumed you know, sin has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Sin has a way of impacting us even physically in our lives. Unfaithfulness. I, I've seen individuals. I, I, I can tell you now that I can watch a person's health oftentimes and can begin to tell you that something's wrong, not just physically in their life, but something's wrong spiritually in their lives. One time I had a deacon that all of a sudden lost... 30 pounds. I could tell his countenance was fallen. I could tell that there was something that was different in him. I remembered 
finally coming to him and saying, man, is there something going on? Can, can we take a ride? Can we go talk? He said, sure, Brother Reggie. So we went, took a little ride, pulled into a grocery store parking lot, began talking about the things that were happening in his life. He began to share of those relationships that were broken. He began to share of the unfaithfulness that was occurring. Because I could see even in his life physically how he was reflecting the sin that was eating away inside. And the guilt I could see. But isn't that biblical as well as we see here and in Psalm 51? Read Psalm 51. David, under the the burden of the sin of his life, you see the you really see all of that bitterness, all of the bitterness that I've spoken of, the emotional toll, and but you especially even see the physical toll. It says that he feels that his bones are broken, David says, as he faces his sin. Unfaithfulness brings about bitterness, even physically. You see, sin can make us physically sick. The stress, the guilt, all of the things that go along with it can make us physically sick. There are consequences. So what should we do? Well, I think you're given two direct um, words here of counsel. Two things. In verse 7, actually verse... uh, Yeah, verse 7, it says, Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. One, what can you do? Plan for purity in your life. Plan for purity in your life. Just make plans that you will be pure. And how do you do that? It means that there are moments that you will remove yourself from places of temptation. Remove yourself. Notice it says, just don't go close to the door of her house. You know that she's been flattering. You know what's going on. Do not go close to the door. You remember that? Oh, you you remember every sermon I preached, don't you? I mean, come on. You're hanging on every word. You've written it all down. You remember? A few weeks ago, I said, I made a statement to you. And again, my high school Bible teacher used to tell us this all the time. He used to say, don't stand by the tree and you won't eat of the tree. And I thought about that a few moments. And, and he said, just remember, Eve had to find herself standing right by the tree before she could ever eat of the tree. All of the garden, everywhere she could have been, but where was she standing? Right by the tree so she could see it. And it would look pleasing to her. And she would eventually eat of it. Don't stand by the tree. And there are moments that we we place ourselves in moments of temptation that God never intended for us to experience. God meant for us to plan for purity and for us to remove ourselves. Actually, in the scripture, in the New Testament, it says that we are to flee from every appearance of evil. That if we see it, we get away from it. If we know it's going to be there, make sure that you remove it in your home. 
If you have issues, if you have issues with your computer, guess what you need to do? Put your computer right in the middle of the public place. Plan for purity. I believe God's children need to do better in this regard. That we need to plan for purity and that we need to keep ourselves away from moments of temptation. Plan for purity. And then I would just suggest to you that you choose your commitment. Now, I said in the very beginning that this is a choice we make. Some people believe it's not. This is just the way it happens and this is the way... God meant for... No, this is a choice that we make, whether we will be faithful or we will be unfaithful. So what we do is we choose our commitment and we practice, listen to me, self-control. A word that is not used much in our culture today. Self-control. Over later on in Proverbs 25, 28, the writer of the Proverbs says this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. I love that proverb. It says an individual that has no control, no rule over his own spirit, no self-control, he is like a city that has been broken down and has no walls. Now what did walls do in the ancient cities? The walls were there for protection. Protection against enemies. Protection against predators that would come through a city. The walls were there for protection. And, he, and here the writer of Proverbs says, if we have no self-control in our lives, if we can't practice self-control and rule our own spirit, it says that we're like a city that has no walls. We have no protection. But God wants us to experience and to practice self-control in our lives. And where does self-control come from? Spirit control. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control comes from the fruit from the Spirit itself. It is a fruit of the Spirit. As God controls me, I control my life. And I control the temptations that come in my life. You see the bitterness that comes from unfaithfulness. But in the last few verses, 15 through 23, you, you see how faithfulness brings forth blessing. You see, unfaithfulness brings forth bitterness. I told you to stark contrast. Unfaithfulness brings forth bitterness, but faithfulness brings forth blessing notice these verses drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well should your fountains be dispersed abroad streams of water in the streets let them be only your own and not for strangers with you let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love and why should you my son be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. 
His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Notice the blessings, though, that, is, that you have spoken about in verses 15 and 16. I think it speaks of a blessing of simplicity. It says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. Notice he speaks about being faithful to one. There's a blessing of simplicity. I had to work my way through this one to try to understand exactly what Solomon meant here. And I think Solomon might have even been speaking out of his own experience here. Now, Solomon, you remember how many wives he had? 700 wives. How many concubines? 300. Not combines. <laughs> we used to have an older man at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church in the choir that would always remind us of that when it was spoken from the pulpit. Not combines, he would say. But concubines, 300 other women, a 1,000 women in his life. Do you know how complex that is? <laughs> I mean, come on, a 1,000. And you see, actually, in Solomon's life that he is influenced by the ungodliness of many of these wives. And his heart is taken away from the one true God. We see that. And I think there's something to be said about the blessing of simplicity here. From your own wife. Your wife. One. God has called you to enjoy one spouse. And I think Solomon, as much as any other, even out of his era, understood this. As he wrote these words and he reflected there was a blessing of simplicity. There was a blessing of satisfaction. It says here, rejoice with the wife of your youth. There's that simple satisfaction that comes through a marriage relationship. And he says, and this is the proper context to have that type of satisfaction, to have that type of enjoyment. He said, it is there that you find true satisfaction we understand that when God meant for a man and a woman to cleave unto one another and for them to become one flesh that he meant that that wasn't just a physical act but that was an emotional act a spiritual act it is coming together as a man and wife and there's something that is supposed to be enjoyed there's something that is supposed to be experienced in satisfaction here he uses words like enraptured when was the last time you used the word enraptured to just describe the relationship that you've enjoyed with your husband or with your wife enraptured God bringing together you see God knew that there was great blessing in bringing together two into one that's one of the reasons, even in the Ten Commandments, he speaks about not committing adultery, not going outside of the marriage relationship. Sometimes we have distorted views of God's commandments. We think God has given us these commandments to somehow 
prevent us from having all the joy that we should in life. But his commandments are anything but that. Wouldn't you agree? Actually, God knows what we need in our lives. God knows the right pattern and the right path. And that's the reason he's given us commandments. Not so that we wouldn't experience joy, but so that we would experience what is truly joyful in life. And then finally, it is the blessing not only of simplicity and the blessing of satisfaction, but it is the blessing of submission as we come to submit ourselves before God and to experience His favor, to experience His grace. Notice in verse 21, Solomon says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and He ponders all paths. When we are faithful in our marriage relationships, that means we are obedient to God. And here Solomon says God is always watching and knowing and pondering. So just the simple fact that we are faithful means that we are obedient. And obedience brings what? The delight and the pleasure of God. Shouldn't there be just some blessing in that? You know, sometimes in our lives, as we're obedient, as we do what God wants us to do, sometimes it's just good enough to know that God is delighting in our obedience. What a blessing that is to know that God loves us and cares for us and that God delights in us. There's a certain aspect of blessing that comes. You know, as we demonstrate who we are in our faithfulness in our relationships, we also reflect the God above. Because as I stand here and look at these relationships and talk about unfaithfulness and faithfulness, I understand that the supreme example is found in God himself. No wonder Paul will use the image of Christ and the church and he'll speak also about the relationship of husband and wife. You remember that passage? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Greatest example he could give us. Christ Jesus loved us even while we were yet sinners. He died for us. He gave of himself for us. He sacrificed himself so that we might have life. That's faithfulness. And that's the faithfulness that God wants us to share in our lives and in our marriage relationships. God wants us, God wants us to certainly share his love with all individuals. But he wants us to experience that marriage relationship, that special relationship that he places us in. It is the faithfulness that he has called us to. Now, as we come to a close here this morning, some of you say, well, Brother Reggie, this is, this is pretty narrow. This is just married couples. Not to me. I got off today. 
I'm not married anymore. For some of you, God's called your spouse home. For some of you, you're looking forward to marriage one day. But you know what? God speaks to you as well. God speaks to you, one, to affirm what marriage and faithfulness should really be in, in others' lives. You should affirm that. And also, you know what? You should pray for that. For those of you who have, who have experienced marriage, and maybe God has called your spouse home, for some of you, you need to get on your knees and pray for some of these couples that are going through terrible situations right now. Pray for them. For some of you who aren't married and you say, well, I'm going to get married. Let me say to you, practice faithfulness now. Tell that spouse that you've never met, that you love them so much that you will be faithful now to them. And then for those of us who are married, well, what great challenge, isn't it? For us to be faithful. For us to be faithful. I do not even begin to imagine all that we face each week in our marriages and our relationships. As we come here this morning, I cannot even begin to fathom the difficulties and the issues that some of our couples are facing. But listen to me. I know what the blessing of faithfulness is. I see it described. I see the consequences of unfaithfulness. And I want to say to you today, practice faithfulness. Plan for purity. Assess your commitment and be committed. Whatever it takes. Because God wants to use your relationship. And he wants to make a difference not only in your family, but he wants to make a difference for his kingdom through your faithfulness to one another.